Welcome to my podcast, Living with Ovarian Cancer. My name is Diane Evans-Wood and I'm one of many women who are living with ovarian cancer. I want to give women like me a voice to share with you what it's like to live with ovarian cancer. We will cover a whole range of aspects related to diagnosis, treatment, recurrence and well, just about everything in between. I hope you find our honest, candid but often humorous conversations not only useful but also uplifting. So without further ado, settle down and listen to my conversation today. Welcome to episode 12 and today I'm honoured to be talking to Julie Drake who's kindly agreed to talk to me about her experiences after being diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Now I've chatted with Julie a few times privately and I can guarantee that you're going to really enjoy listening to what she has to say because she's such an inspiration. So welcome, welcome Julie. Hello, hi. Hello. To start with, Julie, can you tell us a bit more about you? What makes you, you, your job, your family, pets, hobbies, that sort of thing? I know you've got lots of hobbies. (laughs) Well, I'm 62 years old and I have four children and five grandchildren. I don't work, so I was the normal sort of daughter, wife, mother um, most of my life. And then I retired early and decided to take up some hobbies I love to sail and ski horse ride do all those things but I my favorite hobby at the moment is flying and how did I get into that well it was a bit of a dare and I do love a challenge (laughs) so my youngest son sort of dared me to do it and I did so in January 2015 I learned to paraglide and I paraglided for a year Then after that, I got a motor and propeller on my back, and that's called paramotoring. I did that for two and a half years. And now I fly a um, a flex wing trike. So it's a bit like a hang glider wing with a trike suspended beneath it and attached by one bolt. Oh, my (laughs) Um, goodness. Yeah. So, yeah, I love flying. It's fairly slow. It's between 30 and 50 miles an hour. But it's just being up there, having the freedom of the sky and just enjoying the view. That's what, it's the view that's the main thing. And my boyfriend is now having flying lessons so we can fly together. Oh, wow, that is such a true love story. (laughs) Yeah, I do do ordinary things like cooking and gardening and sewing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant, that is. Yeah. It's not many, I I don't, nobody else has been been doing anything like that on my podcast so far so that's the first with the flying yeah I'm I'm a little bit novelty a 62 year old grandmother who flies but no it's great fun so I enjoy I always have enjoyed an active life yeah yeah see I said you were an inspiration didn't I (laughs) yeah just a little bit mad (laughs) not mad at all no just brave courageous and yeah Mm. just grabbing life which is brilliant to hear good so going back to the beginning of your story about your Mm -hmm. ovarian cancer can you tell me what was it that made you go to the GP 
um, initially? What made you think that something was wrong? Well, having had four children, as most women know, pregnancy brings on all sorts of things and constipation is one of them. I've never been what you call regular. But um, in end of May, June last year, I just really got quite constipated. And I'm talking sort of eight, nine, ten days. And I phoned my GP and told her the problem. And there was hemorrhoids as well. And she said, oh, I'll prescribe you some hemorrhoid cream over the phone. I said, no, you won't, because that doesn't work for me. You really need to see me. So grudgingly, she gave me an appointment and then she she inspected and she said, oh, dear, poor you. That looks really painful. I'm not very happy about that. And I'm going to refer you to a hospital for sort of very quick um, treatment. Have a look. Um, Well, very quick turned out to be what they call three weeks and the the nurse at hospital that does the triage she phoned and talked to me and when I explained the situation and the symptoms I was having um, she said oh dear I'm not very happy about that at all I'm going to book you in for an urgent CT scan an urgent scan so day and a half later nothing so I phoned up Paul hospital spoke to the radiology department as a radiology or radiography. And they said, oh, you're on the list, but the doctor hasn't signed it off yet. It could be another day. And I said, but this is supposed to be urgent. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, as an outpatient, urgent means within the next two weeks. Well, by which time I had been constipated for about 10 days. My stomach was like a barrel, literally from below your boobs all the way down. It was like a tight drum But I remembered when the triage nurse phoned me three times in that conversation, she did say, if your symptoms change or if you're sick at all, just present yourself to Paul A&E. So I thought, right, I can't bear this any longer. It was actually uncomfortable to sit down. Mm -hmm. So I just phoned a friend and said, take me to Paul A&E now. I'm going to lie. So I went into Paul, went into A&E and I told them that I'd been sick and that I was told I, I should just go in. Well, looking at the size of me, they, they just did a quick investigation by sort of putting their hands on my stomach, etc. Then they did an x-ray, and then they put me on the admissions ward. At midnight, I was taken down for a CT scan. Mm-hmm. The next day, I was bumped up from doctor to doctor to consultant, um, and then the senior surgeon came to see me, um, by which time they'd moved me from the admissions ward to the gynae surgical ward and I thought why am I here I'm constipated I'm just blocked up they need to do something and you know just sort me out so the senior surgeon came to see me and he then went on to tell me that no it wasn't a blockage it was actually cancer and the cancer had got hold of the lower bowel and had actually pulled it across to the other side of my stomach somehow Um, so that was why I was blocked up so that was a real shock. That was just, um, June the 5th last year. What were your feelings when they said that? Because obviously this was completely out of the blue, wasn't it? Uh, yes, um, I'm fit, I'm healthy. I've never broken the bone or been ill. I've had um, four children all by cesarean, but one was an emergency and the other three booked in as such. But I'm fit and healthy. I fly, I ski, I do all sorts of things. And I was just in complete shock, in complete denial. So when he told me, he actually said, 
I've already booked the operation. I booked the theatre for June the 22nd. So you can go home between now and then, turn up at 7am, blah, blah, blah. So he'd already booked the theatre before he even told me. So what was going through my mind? Shock, denial. I mean, between the 5th and the 22nd of June, I was scared, terrified of dying. I was angry. I was swearing a lot. I was crying a lot. Um, in that time, I made my will. And we're talking COVID time. So I actually signed the will in the solicitor's car park through my car window. I phoned up and spoke to undertakers. And in case I didn't make this, make it through the operation, I actually, that was the hardest conversation of my life, talking about your own funeral in case yeah. um the funny thing was they said oh do you want to pay up front and I said no <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> but yes yeah, so that was that was pretty tough and then it was a seven hour operation and yeah. two days in critical care and eight days on the ward right. so okay. that was very scary yeah well did they did they do it through a laparoscope or did they do um a, a, a laparotomy like an open um, wound. Well, for the for the operation, operation yeah, it was a seven hour operation. Um, I did say to them, please leave my vagina. So they took uh -huh. the cervix, the wound, the fallopian tubes. They couldn't even find the um, ovaries, which are supposed to be about the size of your thumbnail, was the size of large oranges. Yeah. They took my appendix. They took my spleen, which means you've got no immunity whatsoever and you're supposed to take antibiotics daily for life once they take the spleen away and have lots of immunizations etc etc and they took my peritoneum they took some abdominal wall they took cancer cells off my bladder but they didn't interfere with anything um, in that area but they took 12 inches of lower bowel and rectum inside and thank goodness they managed to join me up because I was faced and I had to sign the form for a stoma bag yeah. which I really didn't want and thankfully I haven't got so they opened me up from just between the boobs all the way down round the tummy button and right down to the pubic bone yeah. um, I ended up with 37 stainless steel staples in my stomach yeah it looks like it was it was major yeah, yeah it was major oh. did you pretty much recover without any issues or did you get any complications at all from um, the surgery? I was I was fine they said because I was fit and healthy I mean I also used to play badminton once or twice a week and um, so because I was fit and healthy uh, I healed really quickly my scar didn't bruise it didn't bleed it didn't weep that was incredible and they take the staples out about two weeks after and you can barely see my scar. I now wear a bikini. It's not a problem. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, then the next bit is chemo. And I had six 21-day cycles of chemo. And after the first IV chemo, within 14 days, I lost all my hair everywhere. In fact, the only thing I had left was eyelashes. I managed to keep my eyelashes. Oh, look at you. Um, oh. Yeah. But you stand in front of a mirror with no hair and a huge scar and you just think, who's going to love me now? It's, it's horrendous. What I didn't say was when I came out of hospital, the day after I came out, the boyfriend at the time came to see me and said, I can't do this. I just can't face this. I need to look after my own well-being. I think I'm heading towards a nervous breakdown. I, um, 
I'm going goodbye and that was it I was totally abandoned yeah I was on my own at home just oh, trying to do this oh gosh you had to dig deep then to to get the strength to carry yeah. on yeah and um, I've been supported by some friends who've actually been through the same thing um, and now I'm supporting others but yeah. you do dig deep you don't realize how strong you are until you need to be Mm. yeah but yeah I mean people say I can't believe how, how positive you are but I said well and the other option is you know you either cave in and just surrender to it all or you just think no I'm not ready to go yet you mm. fight there isn't a choice is there I mean no you can't just curl up there and do nothing you've just got to keep on picking yourself up and carrying yeah. forward yeah there are <laughs> yeah I sound positive but you know there have been days when I've literally been on my knees bawling my eyes out yeah. um and with chemo you get sort of brain fog as well and you can't remember things people's names I, I like to think I'm capable and competent but I remember standing in the kitchen and I couldn't decide whether to have a piece of piece of toast or not and I just wept yeah and I just thought I can't make a simple decision anymore, you know. It's going from, you go from being such a, you know, you feel like you're an intelligent woman who's mm. um, very articulate, um, able to hold her own, to this sudden wreck of a person that can't remember things. Yeah. You go into a room, yeah. you can't remember why you went in there. Yeah. I know a lot of the things that we experience is rather like um, menopause anyway, but it, it's it's something else. It's on another level, isn't it? When you have chemotherapy, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And it is something that they've researched, and it is a mm. thing. Brain fog. Yes, you're there, but you're not there. Um, yeah. You know, you're in the room, but you just don't feel present. I mean, it's the closest thing to an out of body experience I've ever had. Yeah. But you, you you're like at the dark end of a foggy tunnel, and and you can see the light, and you just can't reach it. Yeah. so but you just have to and I just decided to get through this I've got to eat well I got to drink loads and loads of water is it two liters a day three liters a day but you do and you you imagine you think it's never ever going to get better but it does yeah it really does yeah, yeah. just going back a little bit with um with your cancer your type of ovarian cancer did they tell you what type it was from a histology and what stage you are at diagnosis they said you're stage three and I said whoa well what happened to stage one and two and they said well because the symptoms are not very obvious a bit of bloating a bit of constipation maybe lack of appetite etc you don't really notice it yourself but I had to, I knew something wasn't right. I had to push the doctor. I had to basically force my way into hospital to be seen. Um, but once they had diagnosed me, Paul Hospital have been amazing. Yeah. Uh, great treatment, support. And bearing in mind, it's been through COVID years, <laughs> years, plural. Um, nothing held back any treatment or operations so I was very lucky that I was they got onto it straight away so it was stage three as far as the letters go they only can decide that when they're out in there and they've opened you up then they said it was stage 3c and I thought whoa I was lucky you know could have been a lot worse but a few months ago I had a letter from Paul Hospital um, summarizing the diagnosis the treatment blah 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 and the biopsy 
results, etc. And because of that, they actually said it was stage four. Oh, I thought stage four was terminal. But after six cycles, there are 21 day cycles, um, after six lots of chemo, went to see my consultant on the 14th of December um, after yet another bunch of CT scans. And she said, well, you stand there a lady free of cancer. I said, what? Because um, there is a blood test called the CA125 that um, counts the cancer marker cells in your blood. A score of 35 is acceptable. At diagnosis, I was 5,500. And the surgeon, bless him, said he would cut every bit of cancer that he could see with his eyes. He did. 5,500 came down to 101. The chemo brought it from 101 to 34. After the first bout, I was then within acceptable. Um, So it went from 5,500 to 101, then 34, then 15, then 8, 8, 8, 8. And I stayed at that. So December the 14th, I was free of cancer. Now, in one of the sort of in the middle CT scans, they noticed that I had a lymph node above between my left boob and my shoulder. There was a CT scan there that when they went in and they did ultrasounds, then took biopsies, it was discovered that that had actually sucked up ovarian cancer cells because the lymph nodes filter all the fluids in your body, but not blood. Um, So... I said on the 14th of December, I said, so what about the lymph node up here? Does that mean I don't need radiotherapy? And she said, do you know what? I think we'll do it anyway. Let's do a belt and braces job on you because we don't want it to come back. So after Christmas, I had um, 15 days. It's one a day, Monday to Friday. So three weeks of radiotherapy and I feel as right as rain. Then after that, you have three monthly blood tests for the first year, four monthly for year two, and then six monthly for year three, four, five. So 15th of March, it had gone from eight up to 20. And they said, well, maybe 20 is your normal. Okay, fine, it's still lower than 35. 15th of June, I have blood tests and it's gone up to 65. Okay. Ah, okay, great. This is not good. And they said, right, well, we would like to do CT scans on you. I said, I feel fine. They said, yep, yeah, okay, but we'll have CT scans. So they did chest, pelvis and abdominal contrast CT scans on the 22nd of June. Mm-hmm. And then on the 23rd of June, I flew out to Spain with, um, with Alistair, my lovely man there. And then on July the 5th, we were on the boat and a phone call came through from my oncology consultant. And she said, right, okay, we've got the results. Um, sorry to say that your, your cancer is back. You will now never be rid of it and we'll need to start chemo again. Um, and her voice sort of trails off like quite sad. And I said, well, hold on, Rachel, what are we talking about palliative care? This is ridiculous, I feel fine. Are you trying to tell me I've got a year to live or something? And she said, no, you've got more than a year, but maybe not five. So that was a bit of a shock. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. so you're in we're having a lovely time I've met the man of my dreams we're really happy I feel fine I look healthy no symptoms whatsoever so she said well when you're back we'll do more blood tests and I want to see you face to face so yes I had the blood tests and 65 had gone up to 87 but um, so when I walked in before I got the results I was 
like a lady walking into the guillotine, expect to be told, like, chemo starts on Friday. And I thought, here we go again, you know. Yeah. And she said, well, your CA125 is 87, not in the hundreds like we would have expected. How are you feeling? And I said, I feel fine. And then Alistair, because he came with me, he said, so what are the, you know, what's important? Is it the CA125 test or is it the CT scan? And my consultant just pointed at me and she said, you know, what is important is how Julie's feeling. And I said, yeah. well, I feel fine. I've got no symptoms whatsoever. I'm happy, blah, blah, blah. And she said, right, well, we're going to give you monthly blood tests from now on. And if you have any symptoms, let us know. Yeah. So, it's you know. looking at the whole picture, isn't it? You know, yeah. you can't just go in isolation with just the no. CA125 because, of course, there are several reasons why a CA125 might yeah. go up. Yeah. And other things can affect slowly. it. Yeah. yeah, other things can affect the CA125 score. Yeah. But it's an absolute roller coaster. You've got cancer, you have an operation, you've got all this radiotherapy and chemotherapy. Then you're told you've got the all clear. Then you're told it's back and you've got between one year and five years to live. Um, and then you're told, oh, okay, you've got no symptoms, right? Okay, well, we'll do monthly blood tests and you keep going. You know, yeah. so I plan to be here in 30 years' time. But who knows? Yeah, I can imagine you will be as well. But people so say, well, concerned. that is devastating news. How are you so positive? And I just said, well, okay, it's cancer. I'm fine. I know what chemo feels like. So if I have to go through it again, okay, it's not a, it's not frightening as I was mm -hmm. the first time. But also other people, you know, they have car crashes, people have strokes or heart attacks and die. So you don't know what's around the corner, but the important thing is to live today. Just keep going, <laughs> keep smiling. No, you've, um, you, when we spoke privately um, a few a couple of months ago. I remember you saying a great quote, and I wrote it down because it really struck me. And you mm -hmm. said, "Don't let life happen, make life happen." Do you remember yeah, saying that? Yeah, yeah, I think many of us, most of us, just sort of coast along and they oh this happened oh that happened no um, don't be a passenger get in the driving seat <laughs> just yeah. if you want to do it do it yeah yeah you've only got the one life yeah definitely I think and that's I think your your message to the world really would be about grabbing life and living yeah. it and yeah. to think that I you stood there in that in front of that mirror after the relationship ended, you know, mm. shortly after you came out of hospital and you looked at yourself and, and felt like you were unlovable. And Absolutely. Now, you stand there with, 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 with no hair, you know, you're mm. bald, you've lost so much weight and with all this scar and everything, you just think, oh my God, look at the state of that. But it's the mindset as well. When I got the cancer diagnosis and then had the operation last summer, my garden was a mess. And um, people say, oh, you've got no bedding plants. And I was just thinking, what's the point? I'm going to die. You know, I couldn't see the point in anything. Now, this year, my garden's it's glorious. Yeah, yeah <laughs> in, every, in every sense of the word, you know, you can, yeah. you, I can just see... I know the listeners can't see you, but we're on video call, although we only use, use the audio for the podcast, but you are just glowing, you know, full <laughs> of life and full yeah. of inspiration. And it is a joy to see. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah. yeah. Also last year, 
yeah, the chemo's not great, there's this not great, that's not great. But a, a huge part of it was I was so lonely. I was so lonely and so sad. Now I've got a partner and I'm not wasting a second. I'm just living every day. Yeah. You've got somebody that shares the same interests and it's really yeah. made such a big difference to you because you, you're going off and having so many adventures, which is, is just amazing. Yeah. It's, it's taken quite a lot of courage and determination to get to here, though, because we're just sort of skirting around everything that you've been through. But you have been through the depths of despair and, yeah. and picked yourself up and carried on. But no two days are the same, are they? You know, no, you can have no. a really off day and, <laughs> and feel, oh, I'm dying. And um, life is, has dealt me this bitter blow. And, and you feel yeah. so lonely, like you're on your own in it and everybody else is living their life. And then the next day, you can be completely different. You get up with a different mindset. And it's yeah. tapping into that mindset, isn't it? It's keeping a hold of whatever it is that gives you that mindset. Yeah, just if you can't get through the day, get through the morning. If you can't get through the morning, get through the next hour. Um, and it was all through COVID as well. So you couldn't meet anyone. I mean, I tried to join the local um, cancer chat group and coffee morning, went on the website and then I found up, oh, we're closed. It's COVID. There's no meetings, blah, blah, blah. I think, great, just when I needed it. Um, but I made myself go out every day just for a little walk to, to you know, just go for a walk, see the leaves, see the flowers, um, look for positivity and don't let the, you know, it's like a monkey on your shoulder. Just don't give in. You know, don't let it win. Yeah. I know you don't want to listen to to those little words coming from off your shoulder, whittering mm. away and giving you yeah. this negative negativity. Mm. Um, it's about turning it around and thinking, well, what are the positives that I can take from this, and what are the what do I have in life? Because yeah. I think there is always beauty in life. It's it's looking for it. I yes. think that's the important thing. But when the word you said take, that's that's quite crucial because there are givers in life and there are takers in life. Mm -hmm. um, I like to think I'm a giver and I sat at home all lowly and I thought, you know, I'm not ugly. I've got so much love to give and there was nobody there. Uh, and one thing I two things I found was when I was feeling really, really bad, the way that helped me get out of it, one of the ways to to get out of it was actually to cheer somebody else up because that then lifted me so instead of phoning out saying oh I've had a bad day or blah 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 I'm wanting sympathy I would phone somebody else up and ask how they are yeah um, that really helped um one thing that the other thing that somebody pointed out to me this so I would phone up say how are you today and I said well I'm, I'm better now and they said whoa hold on a minute what do you mean you're better now and they said well I've had a couple of rough days. And they said, well, why didn't you phone? And I said, well, I don't want to be that annoying neighbor or that annoying friend. And the phone goes and they say, oh God, it's Julie again. I, I don't want people to think I'm the needy person. Mm. And they said, no, you're thinking about it the wrong way because you're actually giving them the chance to help. Yeah. So if you look at it that way around, you're actually giving something, even though you're kind of taking back. Yeah. Um, it's all relationships are two way. Yeah. Uh, don't ever 
think that you're just putting on people. You know, people want to help. They want to do a bit of shopping for you or go for a walk. Yeah. That's what community is all about, isn't it? Yes. So that's yes. allowing um, other people to give to you, but in your mm. giving to them, it's, it is yeah. a two-way process. Yeah. The giving and taking thing. Another thing, when I was diagnosed, yes, it's the shock. I came home, I brushed my teeth that night and I looked on, on the bathroom side and I just looked at all the toothbrush and the shampoo, toothpaste and shampoo, and I just thought, I'll probably never use this up. Mm-hmm. that is a real shock as you think you know life goes on forever well it doesn't I probably would never use those toiletries oh my brain's going fancy now um, I know what you mean it's it, it's, yeah. it's just how it everything suddenly has this clarity when you're diagnosed with cancer yes the yeah. clarity it, that you it's almost like you can see through a veil you, yes. you live life on automatic pilot don't you for so long mm. and then you you're you're told you have a, a cancer diagnosis and you're facing your own mortality and suddenly you get those loud bells ringing in your in your ears that mm. actually you are you're not immortal that you yeah. you are well seriously ill with with something yes. that potentially is threatening your life Yes. And it makes you think about life so, so differently. Yeah, that, that's it totally changes your priorities because you go along. Um, all my life, I've sort of been very careful and economical. And you put money away for a rainy day, et cetera, et cetera. But when I got that diagnosis and I just looked at my, my, my bank account and stuff like that, and I thought, it's just worthless. It's meaningless. It's numbers on a piece of paper money means nothing your health is most important and your friends and family but it was just really annoying because it was covid as well so there we were in lockdown couldn't go on holiday no restaurants no pubs the shops were closed and i thought i can't even flip and spend it no no (laughs) it must have been so difficult for anybody diagnosed with something like cancer you know something so serious and that you you can't tap into that community of support. Yeah. It was it just wasn't there, was it for you? You can't, you know. Normally, somebody's part of say, right, we're going to Paris for the weekend, or right, I'm taking you out to dinner. Couldn't do anything like that. No. So I suppose if you're going to get a cancer diagnosis, COVID is a good time because everybody else is stuck indoors as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, you're not missing out on anything. There's always no. that fear of missing out, but not during COVID. Yeah, but I'm a great believer in positivity and, and the happy juices running around, etc. because mm. keeping a good sense of humour and being able to laugh at yourself has been amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's, that's good advice to people. Yeah. Yeah. So at the moment, it's month that you're you're having monthly follow ups with blood tests. Is that yes, the, the blood tests are once a month, and the the sort of procedure now is I phone up, mail my chemo nurse, and say, okay, I've had my blood test, and a few days later, she will phone me and tell me the results. Yeah. Um, and in the meantime, there's a watching breeze. So if I feel any symptoms, I contact her and she'll tell me, no, no, that's absolutely fine. Or, OK, can you come in and we'll check? Yeah. So but it's quite I find it quite liberating in a way because the monthly blood test, I phone up and I book in. So I might be sort of three and a half weeks between one blood test because I'm going to Scotland or 
five weeks being the next one because I'm going to Spain. You know, it's it's easy to plan around. I think um, that's an important point, actually, because cancer, when you're diagnosed with cancer, it feels as if it's in control of you and your life. Yes. Whereas right now you've got control of it. You know, yeah. whatever's happening yeah. inside of you is not causing you any symptoms. Yes. yes. Okay. The CA1T5 is fluctuating a little bit, but mm-hmm. that's not the be all and end all, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think just taking that control and living your life is, is so important. And that's yeah. exactly what you're doing. Initially with the diagnosis, you feel oh my God, there's something inside my body growing, trying to kill me. Um, You then suddenly feel like you're just a hospital number or a bag of meds. You you stop being you. You lose your identity and you become a patient. And that diagnosis of cancer can, can upset people and you soon find out who your friends are and aren't. And also who your family are and aunts. That was a shock. <laughs> but uh, uh, some things you can change, some things you can't. But where I am now, I'm just, uh, it's not affecting my life at all. I just go for the monthly blood test. Um, I book it in. And in the meantime, I just get on with life. Yeah. But the ho- when they did the histology then, the, the biopsy, and then they sent it mm-hmm. off to the lab, did they come back um, and tell you, what type of cancer it was was it is it high grade serious yes it's high grade serious it's very fast growing with the biopsies and because it would spread so far it was classified as stage four so I count myself very lucky touch wood Um, I'm still here I feel healthy I've got no aches and pains whatsoever but I've got this sort of cloud in the distance you know it's hanging over me just ready to jump back maybe one day hopefully never but you know, it is what it is, and and you live with it. But I'm not afraid of it, mm. not anymore. No, no. Are you afraid of dying? Do you ever think about dying? I do think about it. Um, I've met Alistair, and we are so in love. We're so happy. We're very well suited. When I heard that on July the fifth. <laughs> I sat him down. I said, "Fine, I need to talk to you." I said. I love you, but, you know, okay, if you want to go back onto match.com and find somebody else, I will completely understand because I might not be able to offer you even five years. And he came straight back and said, I love you. I've never met anyone like you. I never will again. I'm not going anywhere. Oh, gosh. Yeah. (laughs) He is amazing. Um, But have I thought of dying? Yes. I, it makes me sad to think that one day, I could, could leave him and he's going to be sad. Uh, I had one three-second moment thinking, should I continue this relationship because it's not fair on him, but he's up for it. I'm not going to give him up. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. If it does come to it, because we're all going to die, that is life. Life is life and death. So it's going to happen, but I'm just going to pack every bit of fun I can in the meantime. So when it's my time to go... I won't have wasted it, will I? And I'll accept it. No, you certainly won't have wasted a moment, I can tell. (laughs) Sometimes it's quite difficult, isn't it? Because 
I think we we tend to forget those that are, who are supporting us and those that love us how yeah. hard it is on them, the impact yeah. on them. But obviously, given the choice, they don't want that to be happening to us. But they don't wouldn't go anywhere. Um, they they want to yeah. be by our side. Yes, so, a strong person. <laughs> But I'll give a good shout out here to Macmillan. Macmillan are amazing, not only to the, the patient themselves, but to husbands, wives, partners, children, you know, other people, because they're supporting you, but they're also going through their own emotions and their own fear. Um, so it's good for them to talk um, and they can ask questions that they can't ask you. Uh, and it's somebody anonymous that they wouldn't want to talk to their best friend or their relative yeah so they need support too yeah i i agree um, yeah. and i would urge anybody to to get that support if they need it talking I've of support um i when i was going through my chemo um paul nhs trust contacted me and offered me counseling and i've never ever had counseling the way I was brought up, my parents said, oh, if you need counselling, you're weak and all the Americans go and see their shrink, blah, blah, blah. So I had never considered it. But when it was offered to me, I just embraced it and took, uh, accepted it with open arms. And I had uh, great counselling sessions with sorry, Paul NHS Cancer Trust. Um, then after that, I was contacted by Macmillan and said, well, we don't offer counselling, but we offer life coaching. And I said, perfect, because I'm now ready for you. Yeah. Um, I've had some lovely chats. And once again, it's somebody impartial, anonymous. You can say what you like, cry all for an hour if you want to. But it just helps clarify your thoughts. And for me, it helped me understand me, how I got to where I was and where I want to go from here. And it's helped me understand other people and to forgive a lot because it's very easy to hold on to negativity um, and when someone's treating you badly you just think well was it something I said or something I did and it can leave you very confused but the counselling and then the life coaching has really relaxed me really calmed me down and I just don't get phased by anything there. I think I think that's that's important to know um, because I think when people uh, when when people respond to you in a certain way in a negative way that's a reflection on them and not you it's yes. they're coming from a place of whatever hurt or harm in in their lives and mm. they're trying to reflect it on you um, mm. and you just can't take that on board you just can't right. take that negativity from them I think you have mm. to sort of put up a wall to it and bounce it back to them really and I think that yeah. life coaching's obviously giving you the skills to do that yeah yeah, yeah. I will include Macmillan in, in the show notes because I think mm -hmm. that they they offer some really wonderful resources yes so, yeah, yeah thank you for bringing those that up okay <clears throat> I just got a croaky throat now <laughs> So what for the future for you now? What, what sort of future adventures have you got? What, what's your intentions? Well, Asda and I just love spending time together. Um, we're now living together, <laughs> sometimes at my house, sometimes at his house. Um, <laughs> but we, in 
July, no, 23rd of June, we flew to Spain and we had 26 days in Spain. He's now having flying lessons so that we can fly together. <laughs> going to Wales, then Scotland. Um, well, going to Cornwall this weekend to a flying, and then Wales and Scotland. And we've just booked to go back to Spain to spend time on the boat. So although it's going abroad, there's only the two of us on the boat and we wear masks everywhere else. So, you know, we're probably safer there than here. Yeah. So, yeah, it's doing really well. Um, I mentioned antibiotics earlier. Now, um, because they took my spleen, I had to have oh, about five different immunizations for oh, diphtheria, is it? Uh, meningitis, blah, blah, blah. Um, mm. But also, they said uh, I, you have to have antibiotics every day for life. Yeah. Okay, fine. So I just, well, I'm a good girl. I took their advice and I've been doing that. Then when I was recovering, I just thought, well, do you know what? You are what you eat, and I must eat healthy food, vegetarian, nah, no, I'm not. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, organic if possible, but it is quite expensive. But I, I try, try to eat fresh fruit and vegetables a lot, um, but I do eat meat. So when I was reading up about, you know, what are good things to eat, blah, 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 quite often websites would point out that if you've been on a course of antibiotics, and that kind of wipes out your gut health, um, mm -hmm. which gives you immunity, and it takes many months for that to start building up again. And I thought, well, you know, I'm having antibiotics every day for life. So, I, you know, what's that doing to me? So I did loads of research about it and the gut microbiome, etc. cetera. Um, and I took it upon myself to actually stop taking the antibiotics, but to have my immunity through gut health. Um, yeah. I also read that if you've had your spleen removed, your other organs, liver, etc., try to step in and help with the immunity. I'm not technical. I can't explain that. But um, I happened to be talking to my GP about um, a sore thumb recently. And I said, oh, I've got one more question for you. Antibiotics. Um, I stopped taking these last week and I'm not going to take them again. And she said, why? So I explained um, fully and she said, oh, well done, Julie, you're ahead of the game again. Um, the current thinking is not to take antibiotics for life, but for two years after you've had your spleen out. And I said, well, my operation was 10 months ago and I'm not going to take them because I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and she said, I agree with you. Go ahead. Yeah. So not taking antibiotics. When I went to Spain, the doctor give, did give me sort of seven days worth of strong antibiotics in case I got an infection and had a fever. But I carry these around with me whenever I go on holiday and I've never needed to take them. Mm. So positivity, just eating well. Yeah, it's doing yeah. fine. Yeah, so that's how you're managing your health and well-being. Yeah, and I don't take any tablets. I take nothing. Mm. Mm, yeah. That's good. So the, the gut health part of this is, is so important, regardless yeah. of whether you've had your spleen removed or not. Yes. Obviously, there's, a, there's a, a lot of research, isn't there, about yeah. gut health and how important it is with, to our yeah. immune system. What do, you, do you take any, oh, what do you call them? Like the, of the cultures, the microbiomes? Um, yeah, I looked into all of that. I spent quite a bit of money. Yeah, there's prebiotics, probiotics. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I've got them in the cupboard. I take them maybe once a week, once a month. But no, no, I just go on natural, good, healthy food. Yeah. And a good mixture. Have a rainbow on your plate, you know, reds, greens, oranges. Yeah. Um, 
and your body tells you what you need you know so it's learning to tune in and uh, be intuitive and to listen to what your body's telling you and drinking lots of water I still you know try to do that because you're flashing out the toxins you don't get a build-up so yeah oh okay (laughs) it's all working at the moment so (laughs) yeah yeah Oh, well, I've taken up lots of your time. Well, can you tell me the last thing I wanted to ask you is, is what would you like to be remembered for? What would be your legacy, do you think? Just being a fighter, not giving up. Mm. Being positive, laughing a lot, laughing at yourself mainly. <laughs> <laughs> and just generally chilling out. Not, I don't get offended the way I used to. I mean, I've got four children uh, during cancer diagnosis, two of them decided they weren't going to speak to me. So that's fine. But I decided not to stay in and wait for the phone to ring and cry. Just get on with life. Yeah. I know yeah. how much that must have hurt. Um, yeah. I know that you're sort yeah. of skirting around it and how it has affected you. But you found a way of accommodating it for the time being, you know, and hope for the future that things yes. might be different. Yeah, well, there's things you can change, things you can't. And like you said, other people have got their own issues and things that are going through their lives. Yeah. So be happy. Just be happy. And don't put things off. If you want to do them, do them. (laughs) Yeah. And don't forget the the random acts of kindness and being there and supporting the people. Because I think that's something that I think people will remember you for. It makes you more tuned into other people's feeling and it just makes you more aware yeah 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 you see from my point of view I see you and I see that you have such a joy for life (laughs) it's something it's something that is so inspirational I I think that it rubs it rubs off on people you know your zest Mm. and joy for life yeah and it doesn't have to cost a fortune you can go out and have a walk and be holding hands with somebody cost nothing but you you just Mm overjoyed yeah it's brilliant oh thank you so much for sharing your story and you're welcome so open and honest it's been such a pleasure to speak to you today good thank you for listening today to hear future episodes of this podcast please go ahead and subscribe now I look forward to sharing more inspiring conversations with women who are living with ovarian cancer. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other and enjoy all that life has to offer.